Our scripture for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. As Paul writes to the Philippians, he is in jail in Rome. His situation is very dire. He doesn't know whether he will live or die. He doesn't know what the future holds. He knows in his heart that he is exactly where God wants him to be. He feels that he has been called to be in this place at this time so he can proclaim the gospel to people that might otherwise never hear it, to rulers and kings, to, to people who are, uh, you know, watching over him in jail, to people there in the city of Rome. But these are clearly trying times. You see, the people in the churches are very concerned for Paul. They have seen the persecution and they have known what it means to be put to death for your faith. And so they are worried about what will happen to Paul and what will happen to the Christian movement if Paul is put to death. If I told you there was a good chance that you would die soon, you would probably react differently than Paul did. You would probably experience apprehension, concern, maybe a little bit of despair. You might begin to uh, make final arrangements and try to figure out what will happen to those who are left behind. You might start feeling some sadness at the grief that you will not see them anymore. But this is not how Paul reacted. When Paul considered that he might die, he simply says, I'm not sure which one I prefer. I don't know if I want to live or die. I'm not sure which one I prefer right now. That sounds a little depressing, doesn't it? It does until you begin to consider his argument about why he feels this way. He says, on the one hand, if I live, I live for Christ. I get to preach the gospel to more people. I get to witness to more people. I get to share the good news with more people so that I can grow the kingdom of God here on earth before I join it in heaven. He said that would be a good thing if I had more time to inspire faith and to teach faith and to promote 
faith in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, he says, if I die, I gain eternal glory. I get to go to be with Jesus. I get to enter my heavenly home. I am able to enjoy the reward of my faith. And of course, he says this would be preferable. Who wouldn't want to go to heaven? Who wouldn't want to be in the presence of God Almighty? Who wouldn't want to enjoy leaving this world behind and being able to have no tears and no pain and no sorrow and no sickness? He says that would be preferable for me. But you know, one thing we have learned about Paul is that he doesn't always just think about himself. He teaches us, in fact, through his life and through his ministry, that we need to think about others, not just ourselves. And so he says, even though I would prefer as I, you know, to go to heaven, even though I would prefer to be in eternity with Christ, as I consider the two choices, I have come to the conclusion that it would be better for me to hang around a little bit longer for your sake, that it would be better for me to be around a little bit longer so I could continue to teach you about faith, so I could continue to grow the kingdom, so that the gospel could be spread, so that the church could be strengthened. I would rather stay here for your sake, not for me. Hey, if it was by me, I'd be, I'd be gone today. If it was by me, I'd just go on to eternity. But I am here because God still has work for me to do. God still wants me to edify you and to build you up. Paul wasn't saying that he wasn't, they weren't going to go on without him. He wasn't saying that the church would end if he died. What he was saying was that they would benefit from him hanging around a little bit longer and sharing with them in the faith. He was convinced that God was still going to use him to build them up before God called him home. Basically, he was saying, my work isn't finished. I feel that God still has more for me to do. Now, I have met many people who can relate to the Apostle Paul in this circumstance. They have been faithful Christians, and God has blessed them with long life. They have lived a good life and a productive life for the kingdom but they have gotten into an advanced age in life where they have experienced hardship and difficulty and suffering, maybe have gone through illness or loss and other things. And they have come to that point where they ask themselves, Lord, is it time for me to come home? Is it time for me to go on and be in glory? And when you talk to them, many of them say, hey, if God called me home right now, I'm ready. I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I believe and I trust in Jesus Christ. But they also say, I still feel that there's still something more for me to do. God is not finished with me yet. God still has purpose for my life. And there's still someone I need to witness to. There's still something I need to do before God calls me home. Years ago, we came to a church to serve when we were still a young family. I say young because our kids were little. Uh, Miguel was four and Alicia was barely two. Yeah, Alanette and I were a little crazy. We had uh, our first two children 18 months apart, so they were very close. 
And so we came to this new church, and uh, I remember that in the very first month, an old man from the church called Earl passed away. We didn't know Earl, but being the pastor that I am, that I try to visit folks and I try to minister to them in their need, I went to visit Mary after the funeral. I remember that because the kids were so young and we had just gotten there to the church, we still didn't have childcare. And so here I came with kids in tow, a four-year-old and a two-year-old in a little child seat. And I remember that I visited with Mary and I talked to her about her husband and what had gone on. At this point, Mary was in her 80s. She and Earl had had no children, so she didn't have any, any children to comfort her. She had no grandchildren, of course, because of that. And she was wheelchair bound because of an injury. And so it was a difficult time for Miss Mary Dunn. I remember that the whole visit, she just kept looking at Alicia and just gazing at her. And at the end of the visit, she finally turned to me and said, I don't know why God has left me here and taken Earl because I'm alone. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You could feel her sorrow and her loss. You could feel the sense of not knowing what the future held. Similar to the feeling that Paul must have had as he sat in jail, not knowing what was next. The next time I visited, Alicia was right there with me in tow. She was in her car seat right next to me. I came to visit Mary to check on her, knowing that we still didn't have childcare because Alanette and I were both working full time and we were still trying to figure things out. Thankfully, Miguel had gotten into a preschool program and he was in school. And after we visited, as Mary Dunn turned to me and said, why don't you let Alicia stay with me tomorrow for an hour so you can do the visit you need to do to the hospital? I had shared with her that somebody was in the hospital and I was trying to figure out how I was gonna visit with a baby <laughs> because they don't let those in in the hospital. So the next day, I took Alicia to Mary Dunn's house. I left her with much concern in my heart about how she would be able to handle her for a whole hour. And I ran to the hospital and did my pastoral visit and came back as soon as I could. Well, to my surprise, when I got back, Alicia was just fine. Ms. Mary Dunn had taken care of her from her wheelchair and uh, everything was good. So the next day I got a call and Ms. Mary Dunn said, you know what? I only live a few blocks from the church. If you need to leave her with me for a few hours, I'll be glad to take care of her. Well, I don't have to tell you that this was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. After Anna was born, Ms. Dunn also took care of Anna. And for four years, she served as a caregiver, as a loving grandmother, as an adoptive grandmother because uh, the kids' grandmothers lived far away. And she provided for the children an incredible place 
for them to have a loving care, loving attention, and full attention the whole time. Mrs. Dunn improved in both spirit and strength as she took care of the girls. She came back physically to church in her wheelchair after a few months. And she was there every Sunday, folks, in her wheelchair. And then we held some healing services, and she was there front and center for every one of those healing services. She had found new purpose, and she had found the determination to get better and to do well. On the last Sunday, on the Sunday after the last healing service, Ms. Mary Dunn surprised everyone in the church by standing up on her own. From there on, Ms. Mary Dunn would begin to walk with a walker and declare healing upon herself. One day, as I was speaking to her at her house, Ms. Dunn told me, I know that God left me here for a reason. God knew that those two little girls needed me. She was right. She was a blessing to our family far beyond any other that we have received over the years from an individual. She gave the girls so much more than we could ever repay her. She became part of the family and we loved on her as she loved on us. I don't know how we would have managed without her. We needed her at that time. You see, Paul was saying very much the same thing to the Philippians. I know why I'm in prison. I know why I'm still alive because you all still need me. You need me to write these letters. You need me to encourage you in faith. You need me to remind you to rejoice in the Lord. You need me to continue to build you up because the Lord needs you to be strong so that the kingdom of God will continue to grow through you even after I'm gone. You all need me here so that you can be inspired to not let the adversities that you will face and the persecution beat you down. Paul said, I am convinced that it is more necessary for me to be here for you at this time than it is for me to go on to glory. Then Paul, in typical Pauline fashion, gave them advice. We know that this is something that Paul always liked to do. He always liked to give them something memorable, something to do, something concrete that they could focus on. He says, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent from you and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. In other words, live your lives as if I was right there with you, as if I was watching over you and supervising you in a manner that is worthy of this gospel of Christ, which is a gospel of life and a gospel of victory and a gospel of triumph over death. And don't back down from your faith. 
Don't let any oppression, any persecution, any trial, any temptation overcome you. You have Jesus Christ, and therefore you are more than conquerors in him who saved you. When I thought about this, I thought about what it means for us to be worthy of the life that God has called us to live in. I thought about that word worthy. What does it mean for us to, uh, to live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And immediately what came to mind was the idea of a vehicle being roadworthy. What does it mean for a vehicle to be roadworthy? Well, it means that you are able to travel on the road legally and with the necessary safety measures. It means your vehicle is fit to be on the road. It means it is able to do it and it is equipped with what it needs to be able to be on the road. When Paul tells us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel, he is telling us that we need to be fit as Christians for this life in a way different than what the world considers fit. He's not talking about being fit in terms of being financially wealthy. He's not talking about being fit in terms of being highly educated. He's talking about being fit in the sense of knowing the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and understanding what your calling is in this life. That we are here to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to grow his kingdom every moment. That we need to be able to travel this road of life with Jesus at the wheel and the Holy Spirit urging us forward, that we need to know that God goes before us, beside us, and around us to use us for his purposes. And that even when we are unsure of what the future will hold, God still has a purpose for each one of our lives. As Mary Dunn lived her last years of life in a manner worthy of the gospel. She gave love to two little girls and took care of them when she didn't have to. Nobody, she did not have to do this. This was her choice. She found purpose for her time and because of her dedication to my girls, they're very articulate. You see, she talked to them all day long. And when I say talked, I mean she told them about everything. She told them about Earl. She told them about her life. She told them about faith. She told them about her plants. She talked to them all day long. And because of that, the girls learned to have an incredible vocabulary. Before they were even four years old, they could read. And they understood what they read. They could have a conversation and you would think that you were talking to a much older child. She read books to them daily and gave them her undivided attention. She did more to prepare them for life than anyone we know besides me and Alnette as parents. She really gave them an incredible gift. And on top of that, she imbued their lives with faith. She gave them an understanding of who Jesus Christ was. And she did this not by preaching, 
not by putting them through some Sunday school curriculum. She did this by simply talking to them about who Jesus was in her life and showing them who Jesus was through her actions. When the girls would ask Mary a question about her faith, Mary did not shy away from the answers. She would share with them openly her concerns and cares, her trust in the Lord even in the midst of trying times. She would describe how God had brought her comfort when she was able to receive them into her home after Earl's passing. Mary lived a life worthy of the gospel. She knew that to be gone with the Lord was far better for her, but that God still had some work for her to do. I have to tell you that Mary just continued to grow in her faith even in her later years. After Mary started to feel better and took care of the girls for some months, she opened her house for a weekly Bible study. And we would come there and she would invite her neighbors to come over to study the Word of God. And the neighbors slowly began to come and they began to bring goodies and we would have Bible study and fellowship weekly at her house. And it got to the point that we started asking ourselves whether we needed to move to the church because we filled up her living room and part of her kitchen. And uh, there really wasn't room for much, many more people. And most of them were neighbors, people that didn't necessarily attend church, people that might have not known Jesus Christ had it not been for the witness of Miss Mary Dunn. And I saw people there hunger for the Lord, hungry for the Lord, come and receive the Word of God. I had the privilege of doing Mary's funeral a few years after we had left that church. And I can tell you there was not a dry eye in the house. We all knew that we were going to miss Miss Mary Dunn. Yet we all knew where she was. We knew where she was going. We knew that glory awaited her. We knew that she was having her reunion with Earl. And for that reason, we all had to rejoice that we knew where she was in the hands of the Heavenly Father. Paul explains that we have been given the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for Him as well. I know that Ms. Mary's grief over the loss of Earl was deep and was harsh. Yet I also know that God brought her blessing and comfort in her relationship with Alicia and with Anna. You could say that she suffered through a few more years on this earth, but she used those years to witness to her neighbors and to her friends before the Lord called her home. But when he did, there was no doubt that she had lived a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone knew at that service that a godly woman had entered her eternal reward. Today, I just want to encourage us to live our lives in manners worthy of the gospel of Christ in a manner that is appropriate to our calling to live our lives in such a way that it is 
a living testimony to those around us that we believe in Jesus in a way that it is clear that even though we might be suffering in this life, we look forward to the glory to come in a way that shows that we are standing firm in one spirit, sharing the one faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that when you check yourself, you find that you are living a life worthy of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Paul and for Mary Dunn and for others who have lived their lives in a way that reflects their faith and their love of Jesus Christ. We thank you that they were determined to find the purpose for every single one of their days, that they were willing to continue to persevere in the faith despite persecution, despite suffering, despite illness, despite all of the things that would come against them. Help us, O oh Lord, to learn from their example and to seek to live our lives in manners worthy of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.